a review of Isaiah, a snapshot of each chapter to remind you of over 75 sermons that have been preached related to the book of Isaiah in the last one year, and over 1,300 pages of outline and slides that have been prepared related to the book of Isaiah as well. A fast review. Many have asked for it, so I've prepared this for you. I, I realize the amount of material in that book, 1,292 verses and 66 chapters, is very large and very difficult to keep in mind. I only get about two minutes for each slide, which is fast. Focus. My brethren, I need you to focus. I hope you had your Wheaties or Geritol or whatever you needed this morning to be able to handle this. The content is great and the pace will be frenetic. Don't try to remember it all. The slides will be available. It may help to follow in your Bible just a little tiny bit if seeing the chapter's location on the page helps your memory. But every time you look down, I will have covered something else. Are you ready? Lord, we are ready. We love your word. We love your word. Here we go. Isaiah chapter 1, the first chapter of the book of Isaiah. The theme of this chapter is rulers of Sodom. And the Lord addresses the Jews as rulers of Sodom. God hated their hypocrisy. That is the hypocrisy of Judah, the main tribe of David, for their backsliding, their disrespect of him, their ceremonial religion, so he would punish them. Here is an outline of the book. And it's in 5 and 9 and 10 through 15, where God calls them like Sodom and Gomorrah. And if he hadn't been merciful, they would have been destroyed like Sodom and Gomorrah. A summary of the chapter 1 is God blasted the Jews for angering him by ritualistic religion while violently oppressing the poor. And that is mentioned, violently oppressing the poor. He would judge the nation to destroy the sinners and to reform it. Here's how it starts, verse 1 of Isaiah 1. The vision of Isaiah the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, under the reigns of King Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So we are told his audience, and that's the Jews of Judah, we are told the four reigns, and so we can locate Isaiah on a timeline like you looked at last evening. Here's verse 9. Except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant, we would all end up looking like Sodom and Gomorrah. The Jews were so wicked. Here's God hating ritualistic worship. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hateth. They're a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. That's what the Lord thinks of us if we're here today, without our hearts being fully His and following hard after Him. The rule of, the, the rule of Isaiah 1 is, If you be willing, if ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured. What we altered in this chapter, 118. Come, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. That doesn't apply to the cross of Calvary. That applies to these verses right here that come next, 19 and 20. If you'll, if you'll be obedient and repent, I'll wash away your sins. God hates religious ordinances, as we just, just covered. In this chapter, there is a verse that says that diluting wine with water which teetotalers love to say they did in the Bible, is as stupid as adding dross back to silver. It neither is ever done. Right. Isaiah chapter 2. The theme of it is the fear of the Lord. The gospel era would be glorious, but Jews must be punished before it would come. So this is a chapter that begins with the gospel and then goes back to punishment. And there's an outline for it. These verses right here, verses 2 through 5, are tremendous. Isaiah and other prophets often have promises of future glory interspersed with prophecies of judgment. Isaiah chapter 2 has severe language against Judah for its pride and idolatry and exalts the fearful God of judgment, but there is also a glorious promise of Gentile conversions. Do you remember that about the book of Isaiah, that when you're reading a chapter and you feel like it's all negative and all judgment, if you'll just keep reading, some glorious promise is going to pop up. And here it is. Look at verse 2. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations. There we are. All nations shall flow unto it. Here's the fear of the Lord. Enter into the rock and hide thee in the dust for fear of the Lord. The lofty looks of 
and the glory of His majesty. The lofty looks of man shall be humbled. The haughtiness of men shall be bowed down. And the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. And did he ever get judgment by Assyria and get judgment by Babylon and get judgment by the Romans? Here's the summary. Cease ye from man whose breath is in his nostrils. For wherein is he to be accounted of? A clothespin is enough to end a man's life because his breath is in his nostrils. What we altered, swords into plowshares, are for gospel era of the New Testament, not for the United Nations. Gentile conversions were introduced here, and trees and mountains were introduced as similitudes for enemy nations. That's it. Isaiah chapter 3, the theme. Men would be removed under God's judgment. God judged Judah by taking away the men, exalting the children and women, and then exposing the women. It looks like this. God judged the haughty and forward women, and he told a great deal about them and the things they wore. God judged Judah by removing men, turned children and women to be oppressors, and then judged the women for haughty boldness, as in America in 2020. His list of female beauty accessories is long and impressive. For behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, doth take away from Jerusalem and from Judah the mighty man, the man of war, the judge, the prophet, the prudent, and the ancient. And we have seen it over the last 50 years in the United States of America. But I sent you a link last night in your preparatory. We have one back. We have a man back in the White House. We have a man back in the White House and his press, press secretary is enough of a man herself. And I mean that with all due respect. I sent you I sent you two minutes and 35 seconds times two, and they both deserve to be looked at. Thank you, Lord. That cost me. And the people shall be oppressed. The people are going to be oppressed. When God judges a nation, the people will be oppressed, everyone by another, everyone by his neighbor. The child's going to behave himself proudly against the ancient and the base people against the honorable. The base people are the press corps of the White House. The honorable is the president. As for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. That's the judgment. Moreover, remember right here, these 11 verses. Moreover, the Lord said, because the daughters of Zion are haughty, they walk with stretched forth necks and wanton eyes, walking and mincing as they go and making a tinkling with their feet. Age, roles, and sex roles are crucial for an orderly society. And God does see every bit of female insolence and immodesty as this chapter should show. Do you remember this? I elaborated on chapter 3 for you. The death of a nation, a simple exposition of Isaiah 3. Here's just a couple of slides to remind you. I'm not picking on Angelina Jolie. I'm just using her as an example for the word haughty. Do you remember tinkling with their feet? They had ankle bracelets better than anybody knows how to wear today 3,000 years ago. Okay, I hope you remember that because it's, it's time for chapter 4. Isaiah 4, the theme is holiness by chastening. God would judge Judah severely to purge away her filth, but glory days would follow recovery. Now this is a short chapter, only six verses long. God used captivity in Babylon to humble and purify his church. When he brought them back to Judah, after cleansing them, he would plant them again as a holy people. He would make them beautiful and glorious and give them the protection that they needed to prosper. And so that's the six verses of Isaiah 4. In that day, this is tied to chapter 3, seven women shall take hold of one man because God has taken away the men. Remember? So it ties the two chapters together. It shall come to pass that he that is left in Zion and he that remaineth in Jerusalem shall be called holy because God's going to destroy all those that were unholy and the ones that will be left will be his holy elect remnant. And the Lord will create upon every dwelling place of Mount Zion and upon her assemblies where we are today a cloud and smoke by day and the shining of flaming fire by night and all the glory shall be a defense. This was never fulfilled literally. This is fulfilled spiritually by God's spiritual presence with his people, over his people, around his people to protect his people. Rules for capitalization in this chapter will show you a spirit with a small s, but it's the Holy Spirit of the living God. Two adjacent verses, verses 1 and 2, up here in verse 1, and then verse 2, both begin with in that day, but it's two very different days, as context shows. It's time for five. Theme, vineyard warnings, 
Everybody should remember Isaiah 5. There's a few chapters in the book of Isaiah that should be your landing points to know, okay, I've got five. What was the chapter in front of it? What's the chapter behind it? Five was about the vineyard. Judah was God's nurtured vineyard, but yielded wild grapes of evil, so God would destroy it. And here's Isaiah chapter 5. Hear and answer God's poignant questions. What could God have done better for His church of the Old Testament? Nothing. Why wild grapes? Because of their sinfulness. Do you delight Jehovah? As Jordan just reminded us, to make Him our God and to follow hard after Him. Isaiah used six sins for wild grapes in this chapter and then told how God would destroy them by Babylon. He would tear this vineyard apart. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes. Is your life wild grapes or good grapes? It's a choice. It's never been more than a choice. It's a choice. Make it for the Lord. The vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah, his pleasant plan. He looked for judgment, but behold, oppression. He looked for righteousness, but there was a cry of those under the oppression. Therefore, hell hath enlarged herself and opened her mouth. That's the place of the dead. That's the grave without measure and their glory. That's the glory of Israel and Judah and their multitude and their pomp. And he that rejoiceth shall descend into it. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. Do you remember those words in the book of Isaiah? His hand is stretched out still, and his anger is not turned away. What we learned, oh, we learned a whole lot more, but I tried to pick a couple. God is right to expect to return an investment in you. He has invested his son in you. What are you giving him back? He has invested his spirit in you. What are you giving him back? Judgment may not come quickly, but it will come, as this chapter teaches. God blesses the military logistics of chastening nations. It's very interesting, at the end of this chapter, there are verses about how nothing would break down in Nebuchadnezzar's army. God would uphold the logistics because he had a purpose for them to get to Israel and chasten that nation. It's time for six. Everybody knows what six is about, don't you? Stevie? Okay, thank you. Everybody know, James, that's because she, she likes this chapter. <laughs> Isaiah 6, a vision of God. God revealed himself to Isaiah, convicted him, forgave him, and charged him to condemn Judah. It's all packed in there. It's more than just a vision. It's what God said in that vision to Isaiah that is often left off by those that appeal to it. How many of you grew up and went to a, the world's most unusual university in this city and heard, here am I, send me. But we never heard what follows after that verse. Because verses 9 through 13, five verses are about Isaiah, then John, then Jesus, then his apostles blinding the people of Israel. Isaiah 6, it's only got 13 verses, but we can break it down into parts. And I'm, obviously I can't go over the parts. The vision here should affect you. The vision here, it affected me when I was 19 years old. Amen. You need such a vision of God, so you should seek to know Him better. Thank you, Jordan. Is that about the third time I've mentioned you? The Lord arranged all that. Isaiah 6, so you should seek to know Him better. The chapter end of blinding reprobation of 90% of Israel is quoted often in the New Testament for Jewish blindness. This is one of the most quoted places in the whole New Testament out of the Old Testament. 90% of the nation is considered reprobate because he would have an elect remnant made up of a tenth. In the year that King Isaiah died, how many love those words in this room? Do you love those words? In the year that King Isaiah died because you know what chapter you're at and you know what's going to be shown in the next few verses. Oh, those, ver those words are still precious to me. 44 years later, then said I, woe is me because he was in the presence of a holy God, and he knew how sinful he was, even though he was a good prophet of the Most High God. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. We each have something to do every day. A wife has something to do. Children have something to do. Here am I, Lord. 
I'm going to be the best nine-year-old ever. Yes, I meant you. But yet in it shall be a tenth. There's the elect remnant. It shall return and shall be eaten. So the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. Do you remember? It shall be eaten. The nation shall be eaten. <laughs> oh, yes. We learned some things. Lesson. Most corrupt this text by excluding the key ending. They want to use this verse right here. Verse 8. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. And they pound that verse. Do you ever have that verse pounded? Yes, you have. And yet the very next verse says, Isaiah, go make their hearts fat, close up their ears, close up their eyes, so they don't see, don't understand, and I won't have to convert them. And, and Isaiah says, for how long? Until there aren't any left. Which is the Roman destruction of the Jewish nation. Amen. Okay, see, I covered that. You know, when we got to Isaiah 6, I was so worked up, it deserved an extra sermon. That's how I got around my limitation that I would cover one chapter per, ser per sermon. So we had a vision of God. I'm just reminding you of where we've been. Isaiah 7, the virgin sign. God gave Ahaz and Judah comfort about their enemies. Their enemies were Ephraim, the ten tribes of Israel, and Syria, a neighboring nation to those ten tribes. They were joined together against Ahaz, the king of Judah. So God gave Ahaz and Judah comfort, but they rejected him and made terms with Assyria to come and help them, which would later destroy them. I hope you remember the chapter. Don't just remember one verse, unless that's the trigger for you to remember Isaiah 7. Then it's okay. And it is a great verse. Isaiah 7 is known for the prophecy of Emmanuel from a virgin. That's what it's known for. But there is much comfort and warning for those who love and believe God's words. Sheer Jashub, a remnant shall return was a living reminder a remnant would return. But Ahaz earned wrath from God and Assyria for rejecting God's comfort. It came to pass in the days of Ahaz, Thus saith the Lord, it shall not stand. When there is something against God's plans for His people, this is what we should say to it. It shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. And that's what the Lord God said about those plans. There's the verse that you know well. The Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. God with us. Thank you, Matthew, for Matthew 1.23 that tells us what it means. In the same day shall the Lord shave with a razor. Remember going to the barbershop? Do you remember the preaching in your crazy pastor? Going to the barbershop. In the same day shall the Lord shave with a razor that is hired, namely by them beyond the river Euphrates, by the king of Assyria, the head and the hair of the feet, and it shall also consume the beard. Assyria was going to take Judah apart. Ahaz was not noble or righteous to refuse a sign. Remember Isaiah said to Ahaz, do you want a sign from heaven? I don't need one. I'm a holy and reverent man. I believe without a sign. He wasn't holy and reverent. Butter and honey are good baby food and no more. Don't get worked up about them in this chapter. Hissing for flies and bees is known by beekeepers, and it's in this chapter. Do you remember some of these? I know that's a little point, but it's Isaiah 7. Chapter 8. Associations will fail. This is still Ahaz and Assyria. God judged Israel and Judah by Assyria for hating his rule and word for alliances and witchcraft. In chapter 8, God's going to blast their alliances to try to protect themselves and seeking to those that peep and mutter. The short outline. God promised quick deliverance and named Isaiah's son to record it. Maher Shalahashbaz. And Ahaz and Judah sought to Assyria and witches, so God judged them by Assyria. Their friend, their confederate nation, judged them. God hid himself and his word, but the wise could have both. When God hides himself from others, that doesn't mean he's hidden himself from you. Go for him. Follow hard, follow hard after him. Then said the Lord to me, call his name Maher Shalahashbaz. Associate yourselves, O ye people, 
and ye shall be broken in pieces. And give ear, all ye far countries. Gird yourselves, and ye shall be broken in pieces. Gird yourselves, and ye shall be broken in pieces. Does the Lord get his message across? Associate yourselves and be broken in pieces. Gird yourselves, because I'm going to break you in pieces, but I'll still break you in pieces. And let me say it a third time, in case you didn't get it. Gird yourselves, and ye shall be broken in pieces. Sanctify the Lord of hosts himself, and let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. You don't need Assyria to help you. You need the Lord to help you. I love this verse. Sanctify the Lord of hosts himself. Set him apart and make him special for your life. Make him your God, is what it is saying. And let him be your fear and let him be your dread and don't worry about enemies or confederates. To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. So God is available and God's word is available to those men that will seek both even when he is hiding himself from the majority. Associations, hand joining in hand, as Solomon would write it in the book of Proverbs, will not succeed in sin. The same God is a sanctuary and a stumbling block taught in this chapter. You can still look for God that hides from others. He can be your God when he's no one else's God. There have been times in the history of the world when there have been very few left. Chapter 9, the glorious king. In the midst of righteous judgment for national sin, God foretold that His Son would come in a glorious kingdom under His reign. I hope that you know Isaiah 9, 6, but I've asked you never to forget verse 7 that goes with it. And though this slide has verse 6, I always want you to remember verse 7 that tells about His reign upon the throne of David to establish it forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. Assyria ravaged Galilee. It tells us this in Isaiah 9. Assyria ravaged Galilee, but the Jews returned and grew in numbers to worship Jehovah darkly in synagogues. He sent bright light by his son Jesus. Isaiah warned that ancient generation of terrible judgment that God would send for the sins of the nation. Remember Isaiah 9 too? The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. It, it's so quick. It's so short, but there it is. That's New Testament. And the New Testament picks it up and uses it. There's 9-6 that you know so well. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And that is the child and son that was born, the Holy Child Jesus, the Son of God. For the leaders of this people caused them to err, and they that are led of them are destroyed. This is how a nation, how a church, how a kingdom can be destroyed when the leaders don't do their job. It happens in a family. It happens in a marriage when the leader does not do the job that they are supposed to do. It happens when a pastor doesn't do it. Take heed, therefore, unto the doctrine and unto yourself. For in doing so, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. The leaders cause them to err, and those that are led are destroyed. Through the wrath of the Lord of hosts is the land darkened, and the people shall be as the fuel of the fire. No man shall spare his brother. Do you remember them grabbing food out of each other's hands? They would have no consideration at all for family relationships because of the cruelty of God turning them over to judgment. And here we go again, three times in this chapter. For all this his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. It's right here. Israel judged for stubborn pride, verse 21. Israel judged for rebel hypocrisy, verse 17. And verse 21, it was number 12 up here. Three times in that chapter, for all this his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. The promises of gospel light snuck into the book of Isaiah can be short and brief, like Isaiah 9, 2. Do not overlook the verse that follows your favorite, 9, 6, because 9, 7 is great. His anger was not turned away. But in Christ Jesus, his anger is turned away. And we have been made accepted in the beloved. That chapter needed a little bit more time. So the son that became king, for those of you with good memories, I tried. I'm nothing, I'm just your servant. Ride me hard and put me up sweaty. That's what they say about horses, right, Carrie? Oh, you're not supposed to do it. 
Sennacherib the saw. This is one of the church's favorite chapters, Isaiah 10. This week I asked my eight-year-old grandson, after all that you've heard from Isaiah, what's your favorite chapter, favorite story? Isaiah 10 and the saw. And our churches loved Isaiah 10 for a long time. God used Sennacherib and Assyria to chasten Judah. He then destroyed his great army and him. And there's the 34 verses of Isaiah 10, and it's all about Sennacherib. And it's a good chapter. This story is one of God's favorites. How do I know that it's one of God's favorites? Because the story of Sennacherib and Isaiah and Hezekiah is in the Bible three times. How many times did Goliath get? Once. But Sennacherib's in there three times. And in Isaiah, there's been many chapters about Sennacherib and Assyria. God got great glory by destroying this arrogant blasphemer's army. The sovereignty of God is graphically exalted in this chapter over the will of man. Your faith and your knowledge of how things work in the universe can be built right there in Isaiah 10. I remember that chapter as a late teenager when I was learning about the sovereignty of God and how important it was to show Sennacherib's will and mind and heart in the matter and God's mind, will, and heart in the matter being very different and fulfilling the statement in the Bible that there is a secret will of God and a revealed will of God. And because Sennacherib went against the revealed will of God but executed the secret will of God, God could still punish him, which led to Romans 9, 19, that saved my life. Thou wilt say then unto me, why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? Oh, is that a good question? But Paul didn't think it would, needed much of an answer. He said, Nay, but, O oh man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? That's out of your pay grade. Oh, Assyrian, I love it in Isaiah when it tells us who's under consideration. Thank the Lord. For, listen, how much do you love the Bible? When you get a verse like that that says, Oh, Assyrian, do you punch the air and say, Thank you, Lord? I do, because I have to get up on Sunday and tell you what the chapter's about. And I like it when it makes it easy. And I'm asking you to celebrate everything you find in the Bible like this. How be it? He meaneth not so. Sennacherib is not trying to do the will of God. It is in his heart to destroy and cut off nations, not a few. That's what he intends. But there's the verse that uh, Elijah like so much, shall the axe boast itself against him that heweth therewith? Or shall the saw magnify itself against him that shaketh it? So I had to explain that they didn't use chainsaws in Isaiah's day. Somebody had to shake the saw, or the saw was an inanimate tool. Sennacher was basically an inanimate tool, and God was shaking him. And that is how God refers to the glorious free will of man. Sennacherib had a whole life to repent, and he didn't. He had rejected all the knowledge and wisdom of God that there is. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Sennacherib made himself an idol called Nisroch. The light of Israel shall be for a fire. The light of Israel. Do you know that there are watchers in this room? That's another name for angels. There's watchers in this room. The light of Israel shall be for a fire, his holy one for a flame. It shall burn and devour his thorns and his briars in one day. Assyria had 185,000 killed in one night. The remnant shall return, even the remnant of Jacob, unto the mighty God. There was a great revival under Hezekiah after 180. Well, four things happened. Can you remember the four things? Sennacherib and 185,000 were killed. Isaiah was cured from a fatal disease. The sun went backward 10 degrees. And the crops were promised when there had been no planting for three years. Do you remember? Why does he yet find fault? I mentioned that. Why did God save Judah? Because of the anointing. Yes, it's Isaiah 10. Is it one of my favorite verses in Isaiah? Oh, yes, it is. Because of the anointing. Because through David was coming an anointed seed, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
God did not kill ordinary soldiers, but at Syria's best. Do you remember learning that when we went through this chapter? Okay. I, gave you, I showed you the Assyrian Empire. See, it's the Assyrian Empire under Sennacherib. Right there is the title of it. Chapter 11. One of my favorite chapters. You said, you just said something was your favorite in 10. It was a verse. This is a chapter. I love Isaiah 11. I want you to love Isaiah 11. And we're halfway there for those of you keeping time. And the time is more than halfway there. Isaiah 11. The ensign of Jesse. A prophecy of David's son, the Messiah, and his kingdom. The gifts, peace, and gathering of the Gentiles. Oh, it's beautiful. Remember, 6 through 9 is the, the wolves and the lambs. 1 through 5 is David's son, given the spirit to be a great leader. And then there's going to be a highway set up, and the Gentiles and Jews are all going to get along. Jesus, the root of David, was filled with the Holy Ghost. He would reign as the perfect ruler, long desired. His kingdom, by changing the natures of men, would have perfect peace. He would gather Gentiles by the gospel and unite Ephraim, Judah, and enemies in sweet harmony. It's all in this short chapter of only 16 verses. There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. A branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. This is describing the Lord Jesus Christ by prophecy. What a king he was. And here's six. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. This is not a change in zoo practices in the millennium. This is the gospel church kingdom. The fact that we are in the same room together and we're not in a brawl is proof that the verse is for the New Testament era of the gospel church. We're all very different in here. And there's a lot of hotheads. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Has the gospel of Jesus Christ gone throughout the whole earth instead of that little tiny postage stamp nation called Israel? Yes. In that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. Paul in Romans 15, verse 12, takes that verse and applies it to the church at Rome being made up of Jews and Gentiles. Jesus would be the ultimate king by spirit wisdom. Wolves and lambs describe a New Testament church and a gospel highway would connect Egypt to Assyria. Assyria was Israel's enemy. Egypt was Israel's enemy. But there would be a highway between them connecting them with Israel because Israel's right in the middle of those two nations in the gospel church. Chapter 12, Jehovah is salvation. There are two occurrences of the word Jehovah outside Exodus and Psalms, and they're both in Isaiah. Now, you probably know Isaiah 26 better, but it's in Isaiah 12 as well. It's only six verses long. The church's joy would be great, and it would praise the Lord Jehovah for his gospel salvation. After a chapter all about Christ, chapter 11, Jesus reign, the peace of his kingdom, gathering of Gentiles and enemies. A short psalm of joyful praise here has, is perfect. The church would celebrate it all personally and congregationally. Do you remember how I broke those six verses in half? Because the first half is, I will. Notice. I will. Oh, You're not going to get me down today. I don't care. I'm sorry. I'm doing the best I can. I wish people would make stuff right. Did I say I wasn't going to let it get me down? The first half is, I will praise. And the second half is, praise the Lord. Oh, good. Praise the Lord. Call upon His name. So the first half is personal, and the second half is congregational. And that is how we should live. That day, starting both parts, is the New Testament gospel era. In that... The first part is first person, the second is second. It is our dutiful pleasure. It is our pleasure to praise ourselves and to push others to praise Him. Let's have a church where every one of us praises the Lord and we encourage and push each other to praise the Lord. 
so we went a little farther on that. There were only six verses, so I got to squeeze in another sermon about water out of the wells of salvation. Chapter 13. Does, every, the, does everyone know what 13's about? You should know what chapter 13's about. The, bird, the ruin of Babylon. The burden of Babylon. God revealed the defeat and ruin of Babylon by the Medes and Persians 200 years before fulfillment. The burden of Babylon. When a chapter in the Bible starts out with those four words, it could be the burden of Edom. It could be the burden of Israel. It's God's judgment on that group of people in that chapter. It's just a tip-off for you to understand your Bible. Howl ye. Notice some of the language, because that's one of the main benefits of Isaiah 13. And you should know Isaiah 13 to be able to show people why we spiritualize universal terms or limit universal terms. Howl ye for the day of the Lord. Now, many people think the day of the Lord has to be the final day of judgment. But here it is used about an event that took place in 456 B.C. For the stars of heaven, the constellations thereof, shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened, and the moon shall, I'm sorry, shall not cause her light to shine. Those are universal terms about astronomy that were never fulfilled because they're to be understood as cataclysmic events in the astronomical realm occurring in the political realm on earth. And this is just prophetic language. And this, this is what we've learned. This is how the Lord has shown us how we're supposed to understand Scripture. That didn't literally happen. It happened figuratively, symbolically. Their children also shall be dashed to pieces before their eyes. Does Psalm 137 speak to that fact? That what the Medes and the Persians would do to the Babylonians for what they had done to those Jews in Judah. And Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldees' excellency, shall be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. It is the best chapter in the Bible to prove obvious universal similitudes. Very useful chapter. Like Assyria in chapter 10, God used Babylon and then abused Babylon. And you, you know how I'm using that word. I, I, took, I, I took a little liberty and went a little farther about Babylon for you. Do you remember? Literal and mystical, do you remember? Pictures help, right? I know. Yep. Poor Bel, nah, Belshazzar's getting his comeuppance. Cyrus the Persian. And Babylon today. The fulfillment of Isaiah 13. 14. Lucifer is buried. That's how I worded this theme. Lucifer is buried in two senses. We buried the idea that Lucifer is another name for Satan, and Lucifer was buried, which is what most of Isaiah 14 is about, the poor burial and funeral and casket that Belshazzar didn't get. After comforting Jews with Babylon's ruin in chapter 13, God mocked its king for his pride and disgraceful burial. We think Belshazzar fits it perfectly. God sovereignly declared the ruin of Assyrian Philistines at the end by Nebuchadnezzar. Thou shalt take up this proverb. See, it wasn't something literal. It was a proverb against the king of Babylon and say, how hath the oppressor ceased, the golden city ceased. It's very earthly. It's very political. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? Because as the king of Babylon, the head of an empire, they had weakened all the nations of the earth so that they ruled the known earth that made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof that opened not the house of his prisoners. You didn't release the Jews. It took Cyrus the Great to do it. The Lord of hosts hath sworn, surely as I have thought, so shall it come to pass, and as I have purposed, so shall it stand. Let me say again, a long time ago, in another life, in my early life, this verse was so precious to me. Because the Lord of hosts swears and says, As I have thought, so shall it come to pass, and as I have purposed, it shall stand. So shall it stand, exactly as I have thought and purposed. I'm going to skip that. It's a beautiful Lucifer, a name for the king of Babylon, is not Satan. 15, the burden of Moab. It's only got nine verses. Lot and his incestuous daughters created Moab and Ammon 
two perpetual enemies of Israel. God would judge and destroy them by the Chaldeans, along with other reprobate neighbors of Judah. Jeremiah 48 is details about it. The burden of Moab, remember? In these particular chapters of Isaiah, look for the first four words and it will help. My heart shall cry out for Moab, there in verse 5. Sin can cause very distant pain, like Lot's tent here, hundreds of years. Hundreds of years later, the consequences of Lot pitching his tent towards Sodom. Great men with intercessor hearts cry for enemies. We learned that. Isaiah 16, Moab rejected peace. God through Isaiah, let's start up here. I can help you. God exhorted Moab to repent and reform, but condemned her pride and promised great trouble. God offered even Moab the opportunity to repent. Send ye the lamb to the ruler of the land from Selah to the wilderness unto the mount of the daughter of Zion. Moab, if you want mercy, send your tribute to Jerusalem. We have heard of the pride of Moab. He is very proud. His haughtiness, his pride, his lies shall not be so. My bowels shall sound like an harp. This is the word that the Lord has spoken concerning Moab since that time. But now the Lord has spoken. Do you remember at the end of this chapter? God has a chapter through verse 13 telling about the destruction of Moab by Nebuchadnezzar. But then in verse 14 mentions that very shortly Assyria would greatly reduce them. Within three years, it was just a great point there, Moab could have been saved. Isaiah 17, Syria and Ephraim. Syria is the nation north of Israel. Ephraim is the nickname in the Bible for the ten tribes because Ephraim was one of the ten tribes and it was the main tribe of the ten. And so the ten tribes took on the name of the one tribe of Ephraim. Don't be confused in the Bible. Ephraim equals Israel equals ten tribes. Judah equals Judah and Benjamin. The burden of Damascus, the capital of Syria. The fortress shall also cease from Ephraim. So you can see Ephraim, and this is Damascus is Syria. Yet there would be gleaning of grapes in that nation. And do you remember the olive tree, two or three berries in the top of the uppermost bough? God has his elect. When a whole nation is being shaken like a tree and there's a few berries left, I want to be one of those berries. Lord, have mercy. I want to be one of your berries in the top of the tree. 18. Egypt and Ethiopia. Oh, let me just go right to this point right here. Right here. Well, I can't circle it or do anything with it. This is by far the most obscure chapter in Isaiah. It's in purple. This is the most difficult chapter in Isaiah. Six verses. We spent 60 hours. We have an answer. Egypt and Ethiopia sent ambassadors to each other to get them to join against Assyria. And so Israel thought that that would be very useful, that those two nations, but Assyria under Sennacherib defeated both the Egyptians and the Ethiopians, as we're about to learn. And then in the last verse, that verse 7 there, let's see if I, can, I can't show you anything. In verse 7 in the yellow, In that time shall the present be brought unto the Lord of hosts of a people scattered and peeled to the place of the name of the Lord of hosts, the Mount Zion. Ethiopia would bring gifts because because. God killing 185,000 soldiers of Sennacherib's army meant that that army could not invade Egypt and Ethiopia because of those, that turn of events. And so Ethiopia honored the God of Judah. The burden of Egypt. There, there again, we've got four words to tell us about chapter 19. God gave Egypt to Nebuchadnezzar, to whom he had given all the kingdoms of the earth, to pay for his army's work at Tyre. God destroyed Egypt's spirit, Egypt's economy, Egypt's wisdom, Egypt's religion. He then promised some conversions in a highway. Here again is the highway uniting Assyria. Assyria and Egypt are a long ways apart. Look at a map. They're a thousand miles apart from each other. 
But Assyria and Egypt would have a highway, and the Lord refers in this chapter to the three of them as three together. Look at verse 25 in the last of the yellow. Or the fir- verse 24, In that day shall Israel be the third, with Egypt and with Assyria, even a blessing in the midst of the land. So the Lord puts those three together, because there's going to be elect in all three of those. God can and will ruin every part of your life for pride. Chapter 20, Isaiah goes naked. Do you remember? Isaiah went naked. God's prophets do not follow your, your ideas of pulpit decorum. They follow God's orders. And this is modest compared to Ezekiel. God arranged for a clash of titans near Judah, Assyria against Terhaka, the Ethiopian. Faithless Jews trusted the host of Terhaka. His arrival caused Sennacherib to lift the siege of Jerusalem to defeat the Egyptians and Ethiopians, but then he lost 185,000 of his soldiers. Isaiah, I want you to preach this way. Take your clothes off, some of them, and get your shoes off. And he did so, walking naked and barefoot. So shall the king of Assyria lead away the Egyptians' prisoners and the Ethiopians' captives, young and old, naked and barefoot, even with their buttocks uncovered, to the shame of Egypt. So this was a graphic lesson to Israel. Don't trust Egypt. Don't trust Ethiopia because Sennacherib the Assyrian is going to be able to defeat both of them and take them all away captive. And so he illustrated it for three years by looking like a captive himself. They shall be afraid and ashamed of Ethiopia, their expectation, and of Egypt, their glory. And the inhabitant of this isle, that is the Jews, shall say in that day, Behold, such is our expectation, whither we flee for help to be delivered from the king of Assyria, and how shall we escape? Well, call upon the name of the Lord. Isaiah was preaching to them. But they turned to Egypt, and they turned to the Ethiopians, who could not save them. God will take away your comfort and hope to trust Him only, as He took away the Egyptians and Ethiopians. God's prophets or preachers are graphic and rude. Enjoy it. That was a, strict, that was a great object lesson. Isaiah 21. We've caught up, folks. GPS says we're going to land on time. Isaiah 21, God's after Babylon, Edom, and Arabia. God foretold the taking of Babylon, then of Edom, and then Arabia for their wickedness. The burden, the burden, the burden, the burden, all the way through these 17 verses. Babylon is the first burden. The Medes and the Persians would take the city, and we're told that again in this chapter. We're given history in advance, 200 years before it happened. The burden of the desert of the sea. Do you remember that statement? That's Babylon. You say, that is such an obscure statement. Yes, and we learned it together. We learned that it absolutely is Babylon and only Babylon and couldn't be anyone else because of the context. Because who took it down? Elam, which is another name for Persia, and Media. And the two of them together, what did they do that was important in Bible history? They took down Babylon. Do you remember Belshazzar's vision? Do you remember? Here cometh a chariot of men with a couple of horsemen. Belshazzar's, in in prophetic vision, Belshazzar's asking his watchmen, what do you see? Checking outside what's going on while we're having this party in here. Well, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. And all the graven images of her gods he hath broken under the ground because I see two men in chariots coming. Darius the Mede and Cyrus the Persian. Then, do you remember this verse? This is the Edomites, the burden of Duma. It's, that's a son of Edom. He calleth to me out of Seir. That's part of Edom. That's one of their cities. Watchman, what of the night? Watchman, what of the night? And the prophet answered, yeah, morning comes, but then there's another night. Do you remember? I hope... For thus saith the Lord unto me within a year, according to the years of an hireling. That means it will be exactly one year. How long does a hireling work over... When does a hireling voluntarily work overtime for nothing? They never do. So the year of an hireling 
is exactly one year. Remember these little things that we learned along the way in our travels through Isaiah? Isaiah 22. Oh, what a good one to end on. Shebna and Eliakim. The folly of Judah, even under threat of Assyria, and a great difference in character of two princes is wrapped up in this chapter. Isaiah 22 is a great chapter. It tells the character of those people while the Assyrian army is destroying 46 walled cities of Judah leading up to Jerusalem. The fearful situation in Jerusalem, the foreign armies approaching, the foolish trust in preparations, the fatalistic choice of pleasure. Since we're going to die, let's go ahead and eat, drink, and be merry. The burden of the valley of vision. That's the burden of Judah. What aileth thee now that thou art wholly gone up to the housetops? Why are the Jews on their housetops? He discovered the covering of Judah. Sennacherib took down the, the walled cities of Judah. And in that day you looked to the armor of the house of the forest. That's the armory built in Jerusalem. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we shall die. And God said, I have heard this. Surely this iniquity shall not be purged from you till ye die. Oh, do you remember how Shebna was a wicked prince of Hezekiah and he was called a nail on which his whole family trusted for their livelihood, their leadership, their comfort, and their security? Do you remember that? A nail that a whole family can hang on. That was Shebna the wicked. And that nail was taken out for Shebna and he was chased like a tumbleweed by the, by the Assyrians. Do you remember? and captured and given ignominious burial when he had hewed him out that glorious sepulcher in Jerusalem? I hope you remember all that. But there was another faithful, God-fearing, loyal prince named Eliakim. And in went the nail for Eliakim. And the Lord said, Your whole family and this nation can hang themselves on you. I will fasten him as a nail in a sure place, and he shall be for a glorious throne to his father's house. It would be as if he were the king of his family tree and the whole family could trust him. I want every man in here to be Eliakim. And let your family tree hang on you. You will be the perfect example and the teacher and leader of your family. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word through Isaiah 22.